Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today we're going to be talking about toxic parents and spirituality. So, how did you grow up? Did you grow up in a sea of toxicity where parents were abusive, immature, and or emotionally or physically unavailable? What did you learn about life and about yourself from that formative period in your life? What did you learn about religion and or about spirituality? How has that period of time impacted your spiritual experience of today? Are there ways that you still struggle with spirituality because of those early experiences? Or perhaps you're unable to have spiritual experiences at all because of those early experiences. This show will be an exploration of the impact of toxic parents on spirituality. So stay right here. So what did, what did I mean by the word toxic? Well, a toxic something toxic is poisonous. It's not good for you. It harms you. And there are parents out there who are harming their children sometimes every day. Sometimes it's a daily experience. Sometimes it happens just every now and then, but the toxicity is enough to make an impact on the child. So what do I mean by a toxic parent? So we're going to talk about some of the ways that parents are toxic. And one of the first of those ways is to be controlling or authoritarian. An authoritarian parent is basically a bully. They're basically telling the child, you have to do what I want you to do or else. And the or else could be physical, which we'll talk about in a minute. But it could just be, uh, you know, uh, 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 some kind of loss of something, something they, they lose. Um, if you give a child a choice, it works better than you threatening the child. So, you know, when we grow up with parents who say, you do what I want you to do or else, then what we don't learn is how to make authentic choices. And authenticity, as we're going to see throughout the show, is how we heal from toxic parents. But it's also what parents who aren't toxic give to their children is the gift of their own authenticity. So if you say to a child, do this or else I'm going to punish you in some kind of way, then the child feels controlled and or manipulated and they don't understand how that there's anything else in them except I do what my parent wants or there's punishment for me they don't learn to make an authentic choice whereas if you say to the child well there's a couple of choices here you can do this or you can do that the the rewards or the consequences for this are here and the rewards or consequences for that are here and so uh, just as a little tiny example I remember taking my son to the grocery store when he was an infant and by an infant I mean he was sitting up and old enough to understand he's probably 12 months old um, and, and he was walking at that time as well um, he would uh, sometimes throw temper tantrums at the grocery store and so I, w- I said to him if you are uh, can go through the grocery store and behave yourself today you'll get a banana because he loved bananas and if you don't there will be no banana. And those are your choices. You can choose how you, you know, how you handle this. 
But just know that if you do this, you'll get this. And if you do that, you'll get that. And that was not a threat of punishment. It was, a, it was to say, you get a reward for doing, having good behavior. So he, when he uh, did well, I got him a banana. And when he threw a temper tantrum, I said, okay, I guess you're choosing not to have a banana today. Okay. And that was the end of it. And that didn't make his temper tantrum go away, but it did make him know that he was the one making the choices, not me. And that's what we need to do is teach our children choices rather than uh, giving them uh, uh, punishment, uh, trying to control their behavior through authoritarian means. Another way is through manipulation. And manipulation is more subtle. It's not really a genuine threat, but it, it it does say to the child that, that you're in my control. So manipulation can often be done through guilt, you know, guilting a child because they, you know, uh, if they uh, don't please the parent, um, uh, making a face when a child comes out dressed in a certain costume instead of saying to the child something about what they can choose to wear. It's much better to give give a child options about what they're going to wear. So, you go to the closet, you pull out two or three things and say, you can choose one of these today. And they choose from one of those. And that gives them the power of choice. And what that teaches a child is the child is in control of the child's well-being. You're not. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have to provide safety measures as a parent for the child. You do. But it does mean that, that the child is learning how to make authentic choice. Whereas controlling and manipulation uh, Controlling behavior and manipulative behavior don't help a child learn authentic choice. It helps a child learn to duck, to hide, to have secrets, to feel guilty, to try to please other people instead of being an authentic person with other people. Those are the damages that are done through that kind of uh, toxicity. Um, so you know, when the child grows up with a controlling authoritarian parent, Parent doesn't learn, the child doesn't learn to think for himself. He learns to, to either dodge other people, rebel against other people, be controlled by other people, please other people. It's all about what's external. It's all about what's going on outside of the child. It's not about him looking inside himself and saying, I need to decide what's best for me. And that's what you want to teach a child. And as a matter of fact, that's what responsible adults know how to do. Is they know how to look inside themselves and, and, and make an authentic choice. Whereas there are many adults out there who are people pleasers or are many adults out there who are trying to rebel against control. Uh, many adults out there who become authoritarian themselves, um, they, haven't, they haven't undone the damage of their toxic parents. So another way of being toxic is through constant anger or hostility. A parent that is constantly angry or fairly often angry at the child uh, teaches the child to be worried about that relationship. It teaches the child to be anxious about what's going on between them. Children are extremely vulnerable to the feelings of their parents. And so I'm not saying that parents can't ever get angry. Okay, I want to make clear, make that clear. Of course, parents can get angry just like anybody else can get angry. And it's okay to be angry. But if you own your anger and say, mom's angry today or dad's angry uh, for a few minutes and I'll get over it in a few minutes, then that's you being angry. It's not you putting the anger on the child. Whereas 
if you're constantly yelling at the child or uh, showing hostility to the child, jerking the child around or, or um, giving the child um, the evil eye all the time, that what the child learns from that is how to worry about what the parent's up to, how to please the parent so that the parent's not ever angry, how to make sure the parent is okay instead of worrying about whether or not he or she is okay. So that's a, a way of getting the child to sort of play the caretaker role for the parent instead of allowing the child to be a child until he, grow, he or she grows into an adult. Um, so hostility, that, con- that constant or fairly constant anger or hostility toward the child uh, can look like resentment and may be resentment. Sometimes parents don't really want to be parents, and they take that out on the child uh, so that the child uh, uh, feels that and feels uh, unwelcome in his or her own home. So um, when, when constant anger or hostility looks like resentment or is resentment, then the child learns that he's not really, he or she is not really uh, warmly received there. And that can have a very damaging effect in that it teaches the child that maybe he or she's not really welcome on this planet. Because what children tend to do is they globalize. Whatever happens in the home, children globalize it. So whatever's happening in the home is later happening everywhere in the world. So if a child who is not well-received or welcomed into the home goes out into the world, they're going to feel unwelcome in the world too. Even if they are welcome, they're not going to feel it. Um, and that, that's all about attachment. And I could go into a lot of uh, information about attachment, but that's basically what we're saying is the child needs to feel warmly received in his or her home. Um, another way that a parent can be controlling is, uh, I mean, can, can be toxic, is uh, through absenteeism, just not being there. And there's lots of ways to not be there. There's, there's be, not being there physically, which means you're gone at, from the home a lot. Um, and sometimes that can take the form of abandonment so that the child really does feel abandoned physically by the parent so that the, the parent's just not ever around. Um, the other way is by being there in the room but not really being present with the child. So here's a story. Uh, from my own childhood that I'll, I'm willing to share from you this from the toxicity in my family. I was a little girl of about five, I guess. And one day um, my family what, felt like a really magical day. My family was out playing in the, in the front yard. We had some really nice grass out there. and I was tumbling around in the grass and um, my mother came out and sat on the stoop of the, of the house and uh, I took that as an opportunity to get some attention from her, which in her way of thinking was wrong. Children weren't supposed to get attention. That was, that was not good for children to get attention. She, she called that attention-seeking, and she thought that was really bad. So I wanted attention from my mother, which is a very normal thing for children to want. So I started somersaulting across the yard, and I was saying, look, Mom, look, look, Mom, look, look, Mom, look. And she uh, didn't look, and she didn't look, and she didn't look, and she didn't look. And finally, I got closer to her, and I went, look, Mom, look. And she literally turned her body away so that she would not be looking at me. 
when I was doing my somersaulting. And what I learned from that was that I should feel guilty for seeking attention. And I did not learn any warmth. I did not learn any connection. I did not learn to, to believe that my mother was actually there and present in my life. And so that was wounding. And, of course, I've done a lot of healing work on that and many other things in my life, so it doesn't bother me now, and I can share it with you. But, but those are the kinds of things that are forms of uh, absenteeism. It tells the child, my mother and my father is not really there. They're not really home with me. And so what does that mean? Does that mean they don't like me? Does that mean that I'm bad for being, for being seen? Uh, should I be more vis- invisible? Should I become invisible in order to be okay in this family? And so that's what a lot of people do is they learned how to be invisible in family systems where nobody saw them and where, where there's, there's, just, there's no sense of presence there. Um, so that's the wound for that child, and, and, and we're going to see in a little while how that kind of thing impacts spirituality. Um, so uh, uh, addiction is another form of toxicity. When parents are addicted to substances of any kind, children feel uh, out of control. They feel that their parents are, are something's really wrong. They know something's really wrong. And they may often be put in the role of, of taking care of the parent or taking care of younger siblings or taking care of even older siblings um, so that there's, there's not a sense of, of, of connection based on care. There's just um, the only care that's being given is the care the child gives to the parent instead of vice versa. And so that child may grow up to be, play what I call the caregiver role where they uh, – they are what, what we call in this field parentified. They become the parent for, the ch- for, the, for their parent. They become the parent. And um, they learn that um, the way to connect to other people is to, is to take care of them. And so they don't have relationships with people where there's a mutuality of care. They don't seek out supportive relationships. They seek out relationships with people they can take care of. Um, and uh, that's the wound, and therefore, they're, there's n- they're not being their authentic selves, where I'm allowed to be me, and you get to see who I am, and I'm vulnerable to you, and and we can mutually support each other. They don't get to do that. They have to live in this role until that role wears out, and they hopefully become aware that they're playing a role. Um, and uh, so addiction also is frightening. Because when you see your, your parent nod off, you don't know why they're doing that. Or you see your parent become enraged because of substances, and you don't know why they're doing that. Or you see your parent um, um, shooting up or drinking a lot. Uh, if you see all those things in your home, it feels like there's no control. And what does a child who feels out of control do is they typically try to gain some kind of control so they can feel safe. And one way to gain control, again, is to become the caregiver in that family. So uh, there's, uh, so addiction is an, another serious problem. And um, when we're, that, that parent is basically inadequate. They're focusing on their own problems, and they want to turn their parents into little mini-adults, their children into mini-adults who take care of them. And uh, there's often money problems in homes where there's addiction, there's often power that goes on and off. Uh, the uh, 
uh, children want to keep secrets for their parents. They want to hide it because they know that something's really wrong and they, they shouldn't tell anybody about their parents abusing substances. Uh, there could be arrests where parents are, are taken to jail and then let back out of jail. Um, it can be very confusing to, to kids. And, um, you know, addictive parents very often don't even realize how much need their children have because they're so busy using substances that they can just stay high and out of it most of the time. And they don't really have to pay attention to what's going on with their children. So who's paying attention? The children are the ones paying attention. So um, it's often true that addiction causes a great deal of toxicity in a family of, uh, of origin where children have to look back on that uh, and, and feel the loss of their parents, which is, is you know, truly there. They, they have truly lost their parents to substances. There's other kinds of abuse also that are toxic, and one of those is verbal abuse. Uh, we may not get to talk about all of these forms of abuse during this segment, but we'll finish in the next segment. Um, verbal abuse is name-calling foremost. When a child is called a name, that child tends to identify with that name. So the child becomes, in his or her own mind, whatever it is that they're called by their parents, especially if they're called that over and over and over again. So a daughter who grows up being called the B-word, uh, if she's grown up ca being called a whore, or a bitch, then what happens is she's, she grows up to believe that about herself. And what, what is she likely to do with that information? She's likely to get in relationships where she has to be in control or be grumbling and controlling all the time, or she may actually even become a, 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 a sex worker. So um, these are very damaging things to call children. Um, to say to a child, you're never going to amount to anything, Another damaging verbal form of verbal abuse that tells a child that, that he or she can't be successful. So this child might grow up with a, the, the fraud syndrome where they feel like everything they do is really not real. It's not really there. Uh, or they may feel that um, they just can't succeed. Okay, well, these are some of the ways that people have been toxic, uh, can be, parents can be toxic. And we're going to talk about some more of those ways and then talk about how we can and look at that, how it can, works with spirituality, and also then we're going to talk about how to heal some of this. So we'll be back in just a few minutes right after the break. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. 
on Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Dr. Veerdra Jackson presents stories and powerful guest experts from business, health, relationships, and faith. Every story has its flip side, and we are here to delve into the story and challenge you to view what has kept you in a singular mindset and turn it into the flip side. When you can effectively do that, you'll experience necessary growth. Tune in live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about toxic parents and spirituality. What we want to know is how does, to- how does being raised in a home where toxicity, toxicity is very prevalent, how does that impact spirituality and how can we heal that? So uh, we're talking about the various forms of, of, abu- of uh, toxicity. And uh, right now we're talking about one of the forms of abuse, which is verbal abuse. And uh, we've already talked about control, controlling parents, manipulative parents, parents that are constantly hostile to their children, absenteeism, and addiction. And now we're talking about the various forms of abuse. It's typical for most people to think that toxicity only exists in the form of physical or sexual abuse. But as we've seen, that is not true. It is very toxic for parents to be controlling and manipulative. It is very toxic for there to be a sense of constant a- uh, anger, resentment, or, and or hostility in a home. There's, uh, there's uh, an absenteeism, which is physical absenteeism, or uh, even emotional or mental a- a- absenteeism. There's addiction. And then finally, there is abuse. And the first form of abuse is not physical. The first form of abuse is verbal. And what we've said is that uh, name-calling is very abusive because a child will identify with the name they're given, whatever that is, that they're given that name especially over and over again, and maybe sometimes even once will do it. Um, the, uh, also, telling a child that you'll never amount to anything will, will, is very damaging because the child grows up believing that about him or herself. And finally, one, one of the forms that, of verbal abuse that is extremely emotionally abusive as well is to tell a child you don't love him or her. I don't love you or you were a mistake. Those are very, very uh, damaging messages to give to a child. Uh, but it's, it's not uncommon for toxic parents to give that very message. And if they don't give it verbally, sometimes they give it just through emotional abuse, uh, through that re- resentment we talked about earlier. That if a parent resents being a parent and takes it out on the child, the child may grow up feeling very unloved and, and unable to establish loving relationships in the adult world. Uh, and another form of verbal abuse is constant or demeaning criticism. So uh, if a child is given a task in the home, allow the child to do the task. Don't go behind the child and redo the task for them. Oh, you didn't do that well. Let me show you how to do that and do it yourself. 
what you're doing with the child is not accepting his or her best efforts. Um, uh, and the child learns through that that his, his efforts are not good enough. And so the child that grows up feeling what I do is not good enough is the child who feels like that he or she can't really accomplish anything in life. And one of our most treasured uh, and important ways of developing a sense of meaning and purpose in life is to be able to accomplish things. And we can rob a child of that through, through constant criticism. Uh, mental abuse is, uh, we, we talk a lot more about emotional abuse, but, and we're going to talk about that again in a minute, but um, mental abuse is lying to a child or tricking a child. Um, sometimes people think that it's funny to try to trick a child, but if you watch that child's face when he or she is being tricked, you can see how, how confounding and confusing it is and how their ego, their little fragile egos, are, are being diminished through that process of, of trickery. And they, then, then it's like, well, who do I believe? What do I believe? What's really true? What's not really true? So some parents think it's fun to trick a child, but I, I would use trickery, with, especially as a joke, with a, with a lot of caution. But also um, trickery that is an outright lie uh, to tell a child that something's true that isn't true or that's not true that is true uh, is a form of mental abuse because especially some children but a lot of children are very intuitive we're, we're much more intuitive as children because we've had to rely on our intuition instead of our language skills to communicate with other people and uh, we have uh, watched other people in the room and picked up a lot of information just by watching them. And so we, we are very intuitive as, as, as infants and children. And uh, uh, realizing that somebody is lying in the room with you, but that you feel that maybe something is wrong with what they're saying. You know, they're telling you something. But you feel like something's really wrong. You can read their body language. You can see their facial expressions. You know that something's really wrong, and you can't really trust what they're saying. But you want to believe them because it's your mother and it's your father, and you love them, and you don't want to think that they would lie to you. But they are lying to you. That's a form of mental abuse. And it's abusive because it teaches children not to trust what's going on inside of them. And as we're going to see, your authenticity is the reason that you heal. Your authenticity is your healing experience. Your authenticity is the way to live an adult life in a spiritual experience. So, and we'll talk some more about that in just a few minutes. Um, so lying or tricking a child is a form of a mental abuse. Emotional abuse is something that a lot is being written about now, and I challenge you to go online and read about it because... It is real, and up, like I said, most of us think of abuse in physical or sexual terms, but uh, emotional abuse has devastating consequences. So if a child goes to his mom and says, I hate Jerry next door, and the mom says, you don't hate Jerry. You love Jerry. Jerry's a nice boy. You need to get along with Jerry. And she's not bothered to ask him what he's mad about, She's not bothered to ask him, you know, where these feelings came from. She's not tuned in to his feelings at all. She's just telling him how he should feel. That is dismissal of the first order. 
And what basically she's teaching the child is to dismiss his or her own feelings. And our feelings are extremely important to our authenticity because they can tell us a lot about what's going on inside of us. And if we don't have uh, contact with our own feelings, how can we live an authentic life? And therefore, how can we have a spiritual experience? So uh, dismissing your feelings is a form of emotional abuse. Um, Making a child responsible for the parent is a form of emotional abuse. Uh, We talked about that earlier with regard to being controlling and manipulative uh, and or being addicted. But we are, I'm talking about it now as just a simple form of emotional abuse. If a parent is depressed and uh, the child sees that parent being depressed all the time and the, ch- the parent relies on the child to make them feel better or to take care of household chores or to make up their bed for them or to fluff their pillows for them and the child gets rewarded by feeling loved by the parent because the parent is you know, kind to them when they do these caretaking things for them, then what the child is learning is I get rewarded for being a caregiver. And I don't get rewarded by not being a caregiver. So the child learns to be a caregiver instead of being his or her authentic self. So that's a form of emotional abuse because it robs them of their authenticity. Parents who have no respect for boundaries, parents who read children's diaries, parents who just walk in the bedroom without knocking on the door, parents who, uh, who um, you know, walk in on the, ba- the bathroom while the child's in there, uh, parents who, uh, d- when the child says he doesn't want to do something, insist that they do it anyway, even if, I mean, if it's something that is not really that important, but the child thinks that it's not, not something he wants to do. Parents that uh, control children are also violating their, vi- their boundaries by being authoritarian instead of allowing the child to make authentic choices, um, making room for the child to make authentic choices within certain parameters. Making it all about uh, them, them is another way to... Uh, and we're going to talk about boundaries some more in a minute, but making, uh, making everything all about the parent and whether or not the parent's pleased or whether or not the parent's happy or whether or not the parent is uh, okay is a form of emotional abuse because it denies the need for the child to be okay, for the need for the child to make it about them sometimes, for the need to the child, for the child to, to have emotions and, and thoughts and beliefs over his or her own. So, for example, if a child cries at night because he's had a bad dream and maybe he thinks there's a monster in the closet and the parent comes in and says, you're, you're disturbing my sleep, you know, stop this. Um, what the parent has done is made it all about them instead of spending some time, some loving time with the child to figure out what's going on, what's the nightmare about, what are the fears about. I will tell you that the bigger the monster of toxicity is in a home, the bigger that monster is in the closet. Because children tend to metaphorize what it is that they're feeling about the toxicity in their homes. And that's definitely one way to do it. So if, it's, if you have a toxic home and then you expect your child to shut up and not talk about it, that's a double, that's a double whammy for the child. Um, being resentful, I've mentioned earlier, being resentful of having to take care of a child is a form of emotional abuse as well. 
because it teaches the child that the child doesn't need to be taken care of. And, of course, the child needs to learn to take care of him or herself and needs to expect support from other people and get it. Uh, gaslighting. Now, there's a lot being written about gaslighting to lot today, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it means. It's basically telling you you're crazy for having the feelings you have or the thoughts you have or the beliefs that you have. Um, that's what gaslighting is. But a lot of people think anytime you argue back with somebody, you're gaslighting them, or anytime you deny what they say is true, you're gaslighting them. That's really not true. Gaslighting is you're crazy for feeling the way you do. So the child, uh, and this happens a lot in homes where if there's toxicity. The parent cheats on the on the on the on the other parent. So that, let's say the father cheats on the mother, just for the heck of it. And it could be the other way. It could be the mother cheating on the father, but just for the heck of it, we'll say the father cheats on the mother and asks the child to uh, to not really notice that. And if the child says something to the father, the father acts like she's just crazy for saying it. You know, you're not, that's not really real. You're just making that up and denies it to the child and denies it to the parent, the other parent. And so the child is being gaslighted. Um, and what the child learns from that is, can I trust what I see? Can I trust my own vision of things? Can I trust what I know? Or do I have to listen to somebody else's version, and particularly my father's, who is my I, ideal, you know, parent? He's the one I love. He's the, he's the leader in the house. And if he teaches me that I don't have any truth in me, then how am I going to trust my own knowing? Um, so that's why gaslighting is emotionally abusive. And then there's physical abuse. So let me say this about physical abuse before we go into the real abuse. For 50 long years of longitudinal study, uh, 160,000 kids from all over the world, all different cultures, were studied uh, for those kids that were only spanked. They were not abused they were spanked with the flat of the hand against the buttocks only. That was the only kind of people that were allowed into this study. And what they understood was that these children suffered the exact same way that children were who were abused suffered. Um, they, their behavior got worse, and there were ongoing cognitive development and mental and emotional problems throughout the 50 years. So they, it, it, spanking doesn't work. It has the opposite result. And these studies have, are, are, are out there for us to look at if we just choose to. But so many parents just say, well, I was raised this way, so I'm just going to raise my kids that way. And, of course, they're passing down the toxicity. But add to that, now that's just spanking. When you abuse a child physically, that means pinching him, slapping him, kicking him, um, put, uh, using a hairbrush or a belt or another object on him or her, Anytime you do that, that is physical abuse. And it's not the same as spanking. Uh, it is physical abuse. And, and not only uh, is it possible that children can be taken away from their parents for physically abusing them, which is also scary both to the child and the adult, but it, it, uh, it is damaging in so many ways. Children who are physically abused uh, very often have cognitive developmental problems, so they're not thinking as clearly as they could be. They don't develop their math and reading skills as well as other children. Um, and uh, then 
they also have mental and emotional problems. They have they can grow up feeling anxious and depressed, sometimes suicidal. There's a, some direct correlations being made between children that are abused, physically abused, and addiction. Um, and so these are terrible problems that can come up as a result of uh, of a, a physical abuse. And then of course there's sexual abuse, and sexual abuse is any kind of sexual touch. Any kind of sexual touch is a form of sexual abuse. And, of course, children who are sexually abused become sexualized sometimes. Um, sometimes they grow up to believe that their body is only useful for sex, and so they become sex workers. Um, sometimes they are very uh, promiscuous. So that's a sounding judgmental-sounding word, but for lack of a better term, they're, they're, they sleep with a lot of different people because they believe that that's, that's all they're good for. Um, uh, sometimes they just don't trust their bodies. Sometimes they have problems with sex throughout their lives. Sometimes they are sexuality is considered to be extremely bad and dark and evil, and so they don't even go there at all. Um, there's a lot of problems that come out as a result of sexual abuse, not only sexual problems, but problems with self-esteem, problems with body image, problems with weight, problems with, uh, with relationships with other people that, who they are supposed to be able to trust but can't. Um, lots of problems come about as a result of sexual abuse. So all of those are forms of abuse or, and or um, toxicity that are damaging to children as they grow up. And if we, if we know that, then what we, we know as parents that the thing for a parent to do is to to mirror that child's authenticity. The most important thing you can ever do for your child is to mirror that child's authenticity. Now, that doesn't mean you let your children run wild and, and run out in the street and, you know, cause danger for themselves or harm to other people. What it does mean is that we, we have the capacity to say, well, tell me how you're feeling, or wow, that must be very painful, or, or you know, you look so happy today or I see you over there drawing that picture. So, so many times, for example, a child will bring a picture to the, uh, to parents and parents try to figure out what the, what the kid drew, you know, Oh, I see a barn and a tree and a cow. And and that may not be at all what the picture was for the child, but the parent has defined now what the picture is and the child has been diminished. Whereas if the, if the, child brings a picture to the parent and the parent says tell me about your picture then the child gets to define the picture and the child begins to trust him or herself to make definition that's real and not only that then the parent can say i saw you over there working so hard on this picture look at all you've done here tell me about your picture so now the child feels seen and the child gets to define his or her own work so that's a way of mirroring the child instead of just defining the child. Okay, we're going to talk about spirituality and the connection between that and toxic toxicity and how to heal it after the break. Stay tuned. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
Things Worth Considering, featuring hosts Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in each week for Advancing All Women, hosted by Sarah Alter, the President and CEO of Network of Executive Women. Hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics for women in the workplace. From advancing women of color to developing and engaging male allies to how to navigate the new workplace post-COVID-19, Sarah will cover it all as she and her guests dig into these key issues. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free. 1-888-346-9141 That's 1-888-346-9141 you can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about uh, toxic parents and spirituality. And we spent a lot of time defining what is toxic and what is not because I want the listener out there to be able to look at their own lives and see if there is some toxicity in the background that might be holding them back from their own spiritual experiences. So here's the thing. In order to have a true spiritual experience, which is what spirituality is all about, it's about your experience. It's not about the dogma or the creed or the religion or the building you go to or the, the um, connection you make to uh, other people in the church or the temple or the mosque. It's not about that. It's about real connection to, between you and something divine or some philosophy. And um, that's an experience. And so it's hard to have a, a, an authentic experience if you don't recognize an authentic self inside yourself. And if your parents have taught you by their toxicity that you don't matter or that your feelings don't matter, or that you're not loved, or that you're crazy for thinking or seeing the things you think or see, or that uh, that you're not smart enough, or that you're not capable enough, or that you have to take care of other people instead of uh, also being taken care of, or that you're a bad person, or you are an extremely good person who takes care of other people, or that, you know, if they've taught you the, to be a role, a wear a mask and costume, Instead of being true to yourself, if they taught you to be a bully or a victim or a a caregiver or a scapegoat or uh, uh, a runaway or a, um, uh, I said bully, didn't I? Yeah, if they've taught you any of those roles, those masks and costumes, and you live out that perpetually as a caricature, 
then they haven't taught you to be your authentic self. So how can you have a true spiritual experience? So uh, spiritual experiences are uh, based in your connection to the divine in whatever way you see the divine and or to a connection to a philosophy that's meaningful to you, such as Buddhism. So um, what we have to begin to do is stop bargaining. Bargaining is says, I will get my parents to change. I will get my husband, who reminds me of my father, to become a better husband. I will get my addicted spouse, who reminds me of my, per, per, my parents who were addicted, to change and become sober. I will, I will change these people. I will get my parents to change. I will get the people in my life today who are just like my parents to change. I will not. Uh, I will not live without changing my parents. I, that's my goal in life: is to change my parents through whatever means necessary, and/or to change the people that are like my parents that I've got in my life today. Sometimes we don't even know that the people that we've got in our lives today are so much like our parents. But here's the thing: we tend to be attracted to people that are just like our toxic parents until we learn that. Our the problem was not us. The problem was our parents. See, that's the issue of bargaining. The bargain says there's something wrong with me. So if I can get my parents to love me better than they did, then that thing that was wrong with me will go away. But the thing is, there's nothing wrong with you. There was something immature, invalidating, wrong with your parents. There was something wrong with your parents, but nothing wrong with you. So... What we have to do is change our relationship with our parents. That means setting boundaries with your parents and enforcing those boundaries. So if mom calls every Saturday morning when you're trying to sleep and disregards your need to sleep late on Saturday mornings, you can say, Mom, don't call me anymore on Saturday mornings. And if you do, I'm not going to answer the phone. Or, Mom, if you, uh, if, if you call me again on Saturday morning... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to make sure the phone's off the hook so that I can't even hear it ringing. Uh, or I'm going to turn off my cell phone and make sure that you can't reach me. Um, or suppose you've got a boundary-making mom or dad who texts you these long, abusive texts all the time. You can block them. You can turn off the phone. You can refuse to talk to them until they talk in a, in a better way to you. There's a lot of things you can do to set these boundaries so that you're not being abused again by your parents. Parents can continue to abuse you all the way into adulthood in ways that we haven't even thought of as abuse before, but they are abuse. And so setting boundaries with your parents and enforcing those boundaries means that you're changing the relationship with your parents instead of letting them continue to do what they've always done. And that doesn't mean that you won't feel guilty, because you probably will. You'll probably feel some guilt about changing the, the game with your parents. And um, what parents have done over the years of their abuse and their toxicity is they have said, here's the rules to the game we play. And the child continues to play that game by those rules over and over and over again until, the parent, until, the, until somebody dies. The one, one or both, one parent dies or the child dies. And... 
but if we change the game, change the rules of the game, and we're making new rules now, Mom and Dad. Here's the new rules. I'm not answering the phone on Saturday morning. I've made that real simple so that it's easy to talk about. But there's lots of other things. Parents get involved in um, your marriage. They get involved in your marriage and pick sides with, uh, with you or against you. Um, they, they try to tell you how to raise your children. They do all kinds of things to cross your boundaries that are not acceptable. And somebody has to lay down new boundaries and say, this is how it's going to be. And what I say is that it should be the child of the parents, the biological child of the parents, or the, or the adopted child of the parents, not the spouse. The spouse does not even need to be the one to lay down the boundaries. The child of the parents needs to be the one to lay down the boundaries and mean it and enforce it. So um, if you do that, you're probably going to feel guilty for a little while. Because um, you're breaking the rules. You know, the rules were there for you to obey, and you're supposed to obey them, even though they're, they're toxic rules. Um, so you might feel guilty for a little while. And the other thing is just really avoid trying to change your parents. Avoid getting into a battle with them about trying to get them to be different. Avoid trying to tell your dad or your mom they need to stop drinking or using substances. Avoid... Uh, uh, trying to get them to love you better. Uh, avoid trying to undo the past. Avoid trying to talk them into thinking differently about you or about your life or about your choices. And, and, and begin to make authentic choices. And that's a way of taking care of yourself first so that your choices are more genuine. If you say to yourself, well, I have to do this uh, uh, because my mom wants me to, you're being manipulated. If you say to yourself, I want to do this, I, I will enjoy doing this, that's an authentic choice. So, so looking at the differences between authentic choice and feeling manipulated and or controlled by a parent is a very, very important thing to do. And so uh, understanding that our job, my job, your job, everybody's job is to take care of yourself first. And I don't mean there's, there's a real first. Because there's not a real first, a real second, a real third. Um, when we take care of ourselves, what we're doing is living authentically. We're saying, I'm going to make choices that are meaningful to me, that are true and truly come from my genuine self. And I'm not making choices just because my parents said I should. I'm not allowing them to control me or my marriage or my children anymore. And when you do that, you have set yourself free to have real experiences and what that does to your spirituality is it opens the door for you to have more uh, support from what you consider the, to be the divine or what you consider to be a uh, 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 connection to your higher power, however you see that, or the philosophy you believe in, um, and, and to live more true to that. Um, one of the experiences that I know to be true in in the in spirituality is this uh, feeling of oneness, a feeling that we are connected to the divine and in and one with the divine. The divine is in me, and I am in the divine. The same with other people that I am in them, and they are in me. The same with animals. The same with nature. The same with all things and and people, places, and events. That there's a oneness there, and that becomes an experience that you can feel when you meditate. 
And but I can't have that experience if I'm busy uh, following the rules of the toxic the toxic rules that got laid down for me as a child, so that I can't really be authentic. I can't be, really be you know feel that oneness because it threatens the rules of the family that I grew up with. And so we won't we won't seek that out. Seeking out supportive relationships is another way to to really um, take care of ourselves. Get formulate a new family. Formulate a family of choice, where you got people that are, surround you that are supportive, that are kind, that are loving. And sometimes what that means is we have to end relationships with people that are not supportive and kind and loving, and go through a period where we're not we don't have any friends until we can start joining groups that match our authenticity and and going to events that match our authenticity. So I don't go to an event because I should. I don't go to an event because everybody else wants me to or wants to go and I should go with them. Uh, I don't go because uh, I have to. I go because I really want to because it's interesting to me. It's fascinating to me. It's fun for me. It's a joy for me. That That's why I go. I go because it's purposeful. I go because it's meaningful. And that is living an authentic life. So the more we do that, the more we open up to spiritual experiences. So the first thing that I have to do in order to have true spiritual experiences is become more authentic. I have to become aware of the mask and costume I've been wearing and begin slowly to take it off little by little by little so that I can see what's really authentic in me instead of what what I what I have lived out of as a mask and costume, as a role. Um, the other thing I want to say is um, I've become acquainted with uh, this uh, person inside of us who can stop us from really enjoying a spiritual experience. I call him the no-sayer, not the naysayer. Naysayer is too polite. This is a no-sayer. He, he lives inside of us, and he says, no, you can't have that. No, you're not good enough for that. No, you can't have that experience. No, that's not really real. No, you're not, you're not a real person. No, you have to follow the rules of your parents. No, no, no. He's a no-sayer. And we have to work around him. He doesn't go away. We have to work around him and kind of acknowledge that, well, okay, you're there. I hear you in there. You've got the voice of my parents. I know you. But... I'm going to go ahead and do this thing that feels authentic to me anyway. I'm going to break your rules too. And so as we do that, we open up more and more and more to our genuine experiences of spirituality. So when we meditate, we're just sitting with ourselves and we're not trying to do something. We're not trying to perform in some kind of way. We're just sitting with ourselves. When we pray, we're not praying because we should or have to or ought to. We're not praying because this kind of prayer sounds better than another kind of prayer. We're not praying because this is how I got taught to pray. We're praying from our souls, and it's a genuine experience. And so when we, when we live into our true authenticity, then what happens is we become more closely aligned with our true spirituality. And, uh, we can be, we, and that can be very healing Uh, The more we become authentic, the more spiritual we become, and the more spiritual we become, the more authentic we become, and it just becomes more and more healing over time. And so touching the hem of the garment of spirituality means 
moving more into our authenticity. And as we do that, we grow more and more attuned to more of our authenticity and more and more attuned to our own spirituality. So that's our show for today. I hope it was helpful to you. If you have any questions or anything, feel free to email me. Uh, I'll be happy to talk with you about that. And uh, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 